Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. Are you a busy Ruby developer who wants to take their freelance business to the next level? Interested in working smarter, not harder? Then check out the upcoming book, Next Level Freelancing, Developer Edition. Practical steps to work less, travel more, and make more money. It includes interviews and case studies with successful freelancers who have made a killing by expanding their consultancy, developed passive income through informational products, built successful SaaS products, and become rockstar consultants making a minimum of $200 an hour. There are all kinds of practical steps on getting started, and if you sign up now, you'll get 50% off when it's released. You can find it at nextlevelfreelancing.com. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. We also have Evan Light. I'm back. And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're going to be talking about preparing for and speaking at conferences. Conferences. And and I, I'm kind of inclined to also talk about speaking at users groups. Yeah. Yeah, you should. We should. Actually, I'll just, we should let you do all the talking about user groups. Why is that? Because I just said you first instead of we. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do to you? Right. All right. So let's let's start talking. So I think, Evan, I think you've spoken at more conferences than either Eric or I have. Or just spoken more. <laughs> As in talk a lot. Yeah. Um, especially, I've done a, a bit, quite a bit this year, too. So I, I remember the in user voice, the person who suggested this topic started with how do you pick your topics? And I think it was pretty much how do you pick your topics and how do you present? Not so much how do you get accepted? Um, picking my topics for me is uh, it's one of two things. Well, actually, no, it's really one thing. At the end of it, it's always it's something important to me that I want to share, that I feel that I feel strongly about that I want to share. And that comes in one of two forms. Often, um, as is evidenced by my frustration-driven development talk, it's about things that piss me off. <laughs> so um, the topic comes to me because something makes me care mad enough that I want to talk to people about it. Occasionally, like a, a talk I've done more recently that I was going to do at RubyConf and then my trip to RubyConf got blown to hell, it's about something that interests me like writing a recommendation engine. Um, but more often than not, it's about things that piss me off because I tend to write code in my spare time when something bugs me so much that I need to do something about it. Wait a minute. So people are wrong on the internet somewhere? No. And you have Never. something to say about that? Never. Cucumber is awesome. Oh, wait. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David Brady and no I comment. had that talk uh, pretty recently because he was pushing. He spent a couple of days getting Cucumber to work on the project we're working on, and then I stepped in and crapped on it, <laughs> which was kind of funny. So we Good had, we, you, had a, we had a conversation about when we wanted to use it and when we didn't. So Did the conversation involve you putting duct tape in his mouth and you just get RMing things that involved cucumber? Ooh, that would have been fun. Yeah, I should have done that. I live close enough to do that. Of course, he lives close enough to not make to make it not worth doing that. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. So yeah, it was interesting, but that's interesting. I when I pick my topics, it's usually something that I've done before that I have a lot of people asking me questions about. Mm. So for Aloha Ruby conference, I've heard people talk about how do I scale my app up? How do I solve these different problems? Usually it's 
uh, code coupling and things like that. And so, you know, you talk about different techniques and then I, I turned around and I said, well, you know, if you're, if you're trying to deal with scaling and code coupling and, you know, these other problems and your problem set looks like this and there are a few people that were like, yeah, that's my problem set, then SOA. And so I did a talk on SOA. So we talked about Lynchpin in the precast discussion. This is where Seth Godin starts to come to mind. I choose topics that are especially important to me versus topics that people might talk to me about that or might inquire after me, inquire to me about. Because if it's not something I'm interested in, then I'm not going to, if it's not something I care about, especially I should say, then I'm not going to put as much energy into preparing the presentation or giving the presentation. That is that I'm afraid it won't come off as authentic, which my presentations are because they're things that really matter to me. So I get really passionate about them. Maybe the downside is sometimes I get really passionate about them. <laughs> Cucumber. Um, that's not a conference talk, though. Although I proposed, <laughs> though I, though I proposed it as one, actually. Why um, Cucumber and, is full of fail? Oh, uh, it was framed slightly more positively than that, but only slight. <laughs> But only slightly. It, why it's slightly less than full of fail? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but um, Seth Godin talks about this too, essentially. And I think he was in Lynchpin because he, as Eric said, from having read a lot of Seth Godin, um, he tends to repeat the, the mess, a lot of his messages in a lot of his books. But I think in Lynchpin and maybe another book or, or more, he mentions doing what you love and sharing it with other people. Um, and he mentions... I don't remember if it was a book he had called The Gift Economy. He talks about the gift economy and linchpin also. But sharing what you care about is giving away a, a gift. It's demonstrating what you know. It also implies that you have more to give so people who find it valuable are more likely to want to work with you. He's he's not wrong. And I think the talks where somebody is uh, passionate about what they're talking about usually are the best ones. But you know, you never know, too, because you get the – you might get those really shy presenters who really love what they're talking about, but they're they're either new to presenting, which we we wanted to talk about later, right? Or yeah. uh, or they're just uncomfortable, and so maybe even if it's something they care strongly about, it still might not be conveyed well. That's fair enough, but at the same time, in most cases, people, if they're truly passionate about whatever it is they're talking about, it'll come through. It'll yeah. come across and. It just it makes a huge difference. They get excited and they can kind of overcome some of the the issues that they may have with speaking, and you know that that animation and stuff just really pays off in a Completely lot of cases. Agree. So. Completely agree. So I, I'm sure there are exceptions, like there are to every rule, especially rules about people. But hmm. uh, you know, in general, that's true. One other thing that I've noticed is like speaking in uh, user groups versus conferences. A lot of times. People, at least in the user groups that I've attended, people will say, hey, I'm interested in learning about X, X or Y, you know, some topic. Mm. And then they'll say, who has experience with this topic? And that's usually how I get landed with speaking at a user's group as opposed to the conference where I have to come up with the topic, propose it, write a good proposal, and get it accepted. But you kind of hit, hit on something there, too. Um, for people who are trying to come up with a conference topic, a presentation topic – Getting ideas from the user group and then presenting to the user group is excellent warm-up. I've done that a ton of times where at least I present to a user group. I don't get to attend enough user groups because stuck in the middle of nowhere. 
but um, warming up or practice, you know, practice runs on a user group are, are excellent because you have a real audience in front of you rather than presenting to your cat or your wife or, or your, a few friends or something like that to practice. Yeah, Mike Moore tends to do that at the users groups. He and this is this is more into uh, talk prep than maybe you know familiarizing or talking about a particular topic. But mm-hmm. we usually get to see his conference talks before he gives them because the month before he'll have it together, mostly together, and he'll give the talk to the users group. I think what I've done sometimes in the past too, if there occasionally with a topic, I'll just have a ton of ideas about what I could talk about. And um, I think at least one time I, I just brainstormed some slides, threw things together kind of quickly. I mentioned maybe in another episode using Keydown. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to um, link to that on GitHub, but um, which is a markdown, which is a markdown based um, slide, slide authoring um, package gem really actually for Ruby. And uh, so I would just bang out an outline in Keydown, and then maybe I'd flesh it out just a little bit. And I think I actually took that to a user group, and I just talked to it, and I'd get to a slide, and I would just go. And then I would afterward reflect on what I said and think about, well, these things kind of go nicely together, and then tailor that into a presentation. If you can um, wing it, if you if you know enough about a topic and you feel strongly enough about a topic that you can just wing it, then um, that might be a good way to suss out what it is you want to present or how you want to present it. Yeah. One other thing that I've done is I've just gone on Twitter and asked people what they think I would be good at speaking about, though it's only really paid off once. So. Yep, Same. actually same here and same here. <laughs> it, it really depends, and it depends on the conference. It depends on the conference organizers as to what they're looking for. Sometimes you'll put a topic out there. It's a good topic. There's plenty of interest around it, and it's just not what they're looking for for the conference. So you have to be aware of that too. So we we kind of talked about picking a topic. What do you need to put into the proposal, the topic proposal for the conference, in order to really have them want you to come speak? Well, okay, like so many other things we do, it's marketing, right? Yep. That was that was for you, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, so the that's one thing I guess that bugs me a little bit about submitting to conferences is that you're marketing to the people who are organizing the conference, but you're also Usually when you're submitting an abstract, you're also submitting your talk description, which will end up in whatever program the conference puts out. So you have to figure out how you also want to market to the attendees who are going to attend. So the attendees are going to attend. That's nice and redundant. So uh, you have to come – so for what I, I tend to do is I, I, I tend to take a kind of tongue-in-cheek – tongue-in-cheek, I can say that, approach, um, trying to come up with something, I guess, a little bit witty and, and, and a little clever but being topical. Because it, it's actually, I don't know why. I guess because it's fun. It's fun for me to an extent. I guess I also have the notion it's more likely to stick in people's minds. I, and, I agree. And one thing that I've seen with that, or, or were you going to keep talking? Sorry, I was going to actually get beyond abstracts and, and, and extrapolate. But let, let's do one thing at a time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So with abstracts, for me, it seemed like I couldn't get into conferences for a while, and it turned out that. Um, what you're talking about exactly is exactly the mistake I was making. So um, I either wasn't comfortable putting, you know, the sort of the whole, the entirety of what I was going to cover into the talk, 
and sometimes you don't want to or into the abstract and sometimes you don't want to but for the most part you really want to let the conference organizers know what you're what you're going to be speaking on and what's going to be in the talk so that they can fit it in where they want it the other thing is is yeah it was usually pretty dry and i've done that enough yeah and since i've kind of given it a little bit of flavor if you can kind of hint at a theme or something like that where they get an idea that it's not just going to be this dry speech on some topic, but it's actually going to have some flavor to it. A lot of times that helps as well because then well, they're interested. Like with my F, the frustration driven development talk, when I wrote the proposal for that um, about a year ago, I still kind of remember this. I got mixed up about which conference I submitted it to. That's a whole other story. Um, I was in a really silly mood that night, and I just decided I'm just going to have all kinds of Star Wars metaphors and allusions in, in, in my proposal. I didn't start with the idea that the that the, the presentation was going to have all kinds of Star Wars and other nerd references in it. Usually my presentation suffered the, the too many lolcat problems. Problem. But when I started working on the slides... I guess I, I riffed off the proposal a little bit and then a little bit of Star Wars led to more Star Wars led to uh, led to Jeff mocking me every time in, on the podcast for always using Star Wars references. Hey, there's da, nothing wrong da, with that. Da, da. <laughs> oh, but um, OK, so getting beyond just the the abstract and, and getting accepted. I think, Chuck, you and I talked about this at uh, Mountain West when um we when we did the recording there that I think that was the one you lost right. <laughs> I don't remember if that went out or not. Uh, um, I I'm trying to. Yeah, that was a well. It was a year ago, or so, or more than a year ago now. Um, or was that the one? Ah, oh, fudge! I don't remember exactly when. I just remember the one we did in Mountain West. Um, oh, where we sat and where, yeah, we sat you it was there. you, me, Dave, and Tim O'Connor. Or Tim yeah, that Connor. that was that was the last one this last year. Uh, that getting acceptance getting accepted to conferences i guess it's important to put it in context that as i said you were marketing to you frankly and and purely functionally and practically speaking and maybe machiavellianly you're marketing to the people running the conference or you're marketing to the people who are choosing the talks you're not you're, you're sure you're also marketing to the audience, but the first thing is if you don't get accepted, you're not getting on stage to talk. Then right. once you get accepted, then you have to have something that sounds interesting to people. And the, the, the sad fact is it doesn't even necessarily have to be informative because, as we're often reminded, our field is a pop culture. Um, obviously, I would encourage people, and I try to myself, come up with talks that are informative. But ultimately, the talks that people tend to remember are not necessarily – just informative, although the, the ones that are super informative, the ones that where the content is so the content is mind blowing, people will remember it almost no matter how it's presented. But unless your content is totally, utterly mind blowing, you need to make you need to craft your presentation in such a way as to be memorable. And what I tend to do with that is I insert lots of stupid humor, as I so often do in everything. Um, yeah, what I'm doing with I'm going to be speaking at New Media Expo about podcasting. And in particular, it's kind of a blend between understanding podcasting and understanding APIs. And I can I can say that to you guys, and you kind of get an idea of where I'm going. I'm going to have to explain to them what an API is and why they even care. But I I kind of framed it around evil robots and why you want evil robots to come and do stuff with your website. <laughs> and so you know 
I, I'm gonna kind. I, I'm I'm tempted to get a lab coat and go in as the mad scientist that makes evil evil robots. I I don't know how far I'm gonna take the metaphor, but anyway, so it'll be something different. It'll be something. If you do that, it would be memorable. Right. It'll stand out. You know. Maybe you should even get a wig. <laughs> I start. I instantly start to think of of the the guy at the beginning of Robot Chicken. Yeah. It's a. But but really, it's it's a good way to stand out and and get people's attention. So. I'm I'm very seriously considering doing something like that and just taking the metaphor all the way and making it both entertaining and informative. The part that I always feel compelled to mention, I always feel a little bit bad slash guilty about presenting at conferences because usually the way that conference speakers are chosen is... Hmm... I don't want to. It's not. It's not egalitarian. It is plutocratic. Is not the right term. Meritocratic, I suppose, may be better. Where you you have a very few people who choose based on the merit of the presentation, the merit of the abstract, you should say, and then the merit of the individual. Right. And I did and it. those. Sorry. I said right, and you just passed uh, you, it over. Damn it! I'm. I'm. I'm gonna, I'll blame the whiskey I'm drinking right now. So what you the, so getting accepted to a conference really just means one or a few people think you're cool enough or smart enough that it's not an indication that you know thou art somehow greater than 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 the audience and yet some a lot that yet we always suffer I say we um, I find that programming communities pop cultures tend to suffer from hero worship so being on a stage tends to result in some of that from some people in the audience. And I hope that the people listening to this podcast know better, but I just put that out there just in case they, they don't. I think that's interesting. We talked a little bit about, well, we talked a whole episode about this same kind of thing on Ruby rogues. And Josh mentioned that what they did is they took the names off of the abstracts and then picked them. Cool. Which was really interesting. And, that was what for um, Gogoruko? Gogoruko, and they got yeah. a completely different sampling than what they normally would have. Huh. So I think it's an interesting idea, but I also think you're right. I think in some cases certain people could submit a talk to a particular conference and say, oh, I'm just going to talk about timing or something, and they'd, they'd get a spot. Yeah. Well, it's I, also... I, it's like a marketing thing for the conference organizer. I mean, if, yes. if you get, you know, Tim O'Reilly or whatever at your conference, you're going to draw people that might not have come otherwise. And so typically that's, you know, at a certain level, that's where you get the keynote where it's like, this guy's coming. But that's, you know, in the ideal world, the conference organizer is thinking about, okay, who's my audience? What, who, who do they want to see? What topics do they want to hear about? But I mean, you know, it's people. You can't read your audience's minds and match it up perfectly with the proposals sent in. Well, and for a lot of the conferences, I understand that the keynotes are by invitation. So those yes. folks, they don't even submit a proposal. Before the call for, for proposals is opened up, they, they've they already been asked to come and speak. So, But for, for non-keynotes, I'd swear this must have happened for a good number of conferences because I've seen, I've seen some obviously spectacular – I've seen spectacular talks by people who are typical conference speakers. I've also seen some some people who do the circuit, if you will, and their talks are mediocre to terrible. And I have to imagine some of these people get accepted though because their name because they have cachet associated with their name. 
so it doesn't have much to do with what their abstract is. It's, oh, so-and-so wants to speak, so we should let them. There is some truth to that. I think also some folks get um, elected to speak, again, because the organizers know who they are and have seen them speak and know that they can give a good – they can deliver a good presentation. Right. So they're not worried that they're going to show up and make the rookie mistakes. And and having been on a a board or more, the one I don't remember for sure, for conferences, yes, I've I've not chosen people – because some some of the organizers have said this person doesn't do pres- good presentations, and I have chosen some helped choose some other people because I've known that in part because I've known that certain people do better presentations. But um, you know, well-known speaker does not necessarily equate to good presentation, just as unknown speaker does not necessarily equate to bad presentation. Agreed. We're getting off on the tangent, and it's yeah. totally my fault. I apologize. No, it's okay. I, I was going to change the topic here in a second, anyway. Um, I'm a little bit curious as to what you do to prepare. I mean, you have to write slides and things like that. But what what in particular do you do to prepare? I get stressed out. <laughs> um, yeah, I by the way, getting accepted, it's only the beginning. Yeah, right. Totally. So I, you get accepted and then you wait the following months until your talk is supposed to be given. And then you write the whole thing the night before. No, but a lot of people do that. And I've never... No, I actually did that once. I had to do that once because my life was so crazy at the time. I didn't have any time to prepare the slides before, quite literally, for like a month. But otherwise, um, obviously, ideally, do, between between getting accepted and, and writing and, and actually writing a draft, for me, I spend a lot of time just thinking about the topic, whether it's consciously or it's just something that stays in the back of my mind. And I look for ideas as time passes, frankly, things that, that – you know, hooks that I see in the real world that I could use in my presentation. And then maybe um, a couple weeks before I, I come up with a first draft, I usually do it in Markdown. And then I shred it up again and again and again and again. And I'll admit that now, having done a bunch of presentations, I don't practice much. Uh, my practice is usually a few iterations of reading through the slides straight through reciting the presentation as though I were speaking in my head. And when I get stuck on something, I focus on the slide. It's like how I would practice piano when I used to, when my mother was, when my mother's still a piano teacher, when she would teach me piano, when I would trip on something, I would take that one section I tripped up on, break it down, try to figure out what's wrong, what's missing, what doesn't feel right. And then I would practice it a few times maybe and then I would start to do the whole thing again. And then I would rinse and repeat until I had a really comfortable go walk through it or you know, kind of comfortable if I had enough time. And then I would come back to it again and, and do it over and then just start refining. Yeah, that's more or less how I do it. When I get going, I, I also I, I become hyper aware about the things that are related to what I'm talking about. Yes. And I'll start putting together an outline of what what I want to cover and how it kind of fits together. Once I have that outline together, then I can sit down and start fleshing it out. I go I go looking for images and kind of figure out what the theme I want to, you know, add into it. Because I like to have a little bit of a, a flavor to it, though I didn't do that on my last talk. But anyway, so, you know, like the evil robots thing. So I'll, I'll start fitting it all together. And then once I have my slides together, I tend to practice quite a bit. Um, I'll I'll put it up on my monitor on my computer 
and I'll actually pull the clicker out of my bag and plug it into my desktop machine and actually click through the slides and talk my way through it. And what that does is it allows me to get my speaker notes in order in Keynote. Yes. Yeah. And it also allows me to get a good idea of how much time I'm going to take up. I don't usually use I used I used to use Keynote. You know, now I'm using Keydown. I don't have speaker notes anymore. So what I what I tend to do for each slide, I in Keydown there's a notes section in the markdown you write that you can write on a per slide basis. And I tend to have maybe one to three bullet points that I want to hit on when I'm talking about a slide. So as I'm going through and I'm, as I'm doing my practice, it's do I know what these bullet points are and do they come to me naturally as I'm talking? And if they're not, then I need to tweak them. Yeah, um, that's another thing that I have I get out of my practice is does it feel right, you know, and, and are the transitions smooth? Mm -hmm, does, mm -hmm. it, does it flow well? Because if it doesn't, then any, any uh, I, don't, I don't know what the word is, dissociation, I guess, in your talk, your audience is going to pick up on that. So I kind of wonder, um, because Eric's, Eric's actually self-published a book here, it, I have to imagine that, that writing a book is not all that unlike writing a presentation except larger in scope. Um, hmm. No, that is that, I, I'd no, say no. they're pretty different. So yeah. I'm, I don't do presentations, but I'm looking at this and I'm, the steps you guys are doing is the exact steps I do when I do a screencast. It's just mm -hmm. obviously with a screencast, if I screw it up, I can start over. Sure. Um, writing a book, I mean, some of it like the outlining and making sure that transitions are good. Like, yeah, that's that's similar, and that's kind of just you know, writing, creating content in general. Right. But I think writing, it's more of get everything down on paper and then come back and edit later. Like, it's I don't know. I think it's writing. You have a lot more flexibility in your medium because. It's typically longer, you know. You have more time, I guess, in your book presentation. So a bit like a a confluence of a doing a blog post, but also doing a presentation, because a blog post doesn't necessarily need as much outlining because they tend to be more focused. Presentations tend to go a bit tend to go a bit longer than a blog post, but none of them, either of them, are books. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it could just be. How I write too, like that. Well, you know, I I do basically stream of consciousness writing. Like I'll I'll outline what I want to talk about, but then I just go off for an hour, two hours, and then come back way later and edit and try to figure out what ideas I'm going into. To be fair, when I write, start writing a presentation, that is exactly how I start. It's it's just markdowning, and I, I because the presentation, the slides especially, the slides are a lot like an outline. Um, no matter what the mnemonics are that are there for me, they are essentially the framework that I talk to. But I just barf down into Markdown everything that comes to mind, and then I start tightening it up. Usually it's by removing things, because as I'm barfing down everything, it's more language than I want in my slides, because I don't use much language in my slides intentionally. But it's the ideas that I want to talk to. It, it does actually sound a little bit similar, but, but God, that sounds kind of painful considering how hard it can be to write a presentation. I'm just trying to imagine writing a book so doing the same kind of work except much 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 more of it that's exhausting <laughs> but at the same time you don't have the trip-ups of delivering it personally verbally in person in a book or a blog post well yeah, and also okay, with the book yeah. you can bring in people to help you a lot easier like you yeah you guys said earlier you can present to you know user groups or you know maybe to your mom or whatever but of a book you can bring in like 
people who know how to do editing or know story structure and they can, you know, basically revise your entire thing. And that, that's, you know, that's a very strong community that's already there with books. Whereas I don't know, I mean, is there any kind of like presentation help services like thing? Not exactly, but there are some really good books about writing presentations. I, I feel like I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but it might be my imagination. Jim Wyrick, who does excellent presentations, uh, turned me on to a book called Presentation Zen. Uh, yeah. And that, and that, by the way, is one of the reasons I like Keydown so much is that Keydown distills some of the visual ideas in Presentation Zen. I don't know if it was intentional, but the rules, that the constraints that it enforces – makes it natural more natural or makes it harder not to produce slides that sort of conform to presentations and i mean you can you sure you can throw a lot of english on the screen using um uh, oh hey the nice quote there eric okay so yes he the guy who wrote key was thinking that um you can throw a lot of english on the screen in key down if you want to but it looks pretty terrible in key down maybe intentionally um sticking with key down's default styling you end up with something that would suit presentations in pretty well with very little work. Um, and that's something along the lines of to say that you have lots of images in your, you would have a lot of images in your presentation and the text is on top of not next to or above or below the image. And it flows well with the image, like the text flows into or out of each slide and you have very little text. So for me, the images and the, the sub and the, the title for each slide, if you will, the language in each slide are, a lot of my cues for my presentation, which is why I don't use key down. I mean, uh, keynote slide notes. The other advantage is I usually take a brief look at a slide and I know what's next if I don't already know it in my head. I'm I'm usually a little bit. I, I really like that for presentations themselves. I feel a little bit bad sometimes for the people who go look at my slides afterwards yeah, because they yeah. are very sparse. Yep. But at the same time, the slides weren't written. For to, an audience to give your not talk. present, right, right, but on the right, <laughs> but on the, that was again for you, but on but, the, uh, but, but in addition, the way, yeah. though, so if you're using Keydown though, and you post your presentation on say GitHub like like I've been doing lately, because it's really easy to do since it's just HTML CSS that you the, get in JavaScript, then you can then, get the notes out of the Markdown. Is that exactly where you're going? the notes are are still in your Markdown? You can go to the repo, get the notes out of the Markdown, and you can at least get more of the broad strokes, if not the specifics. Well, actually, what I do when I'm using Keydown is because it's Markdown, I just put HTML comments. And so actually the rendered thing has all those comments in it instead of using that special notes tag. So it's it's nice because you can just view source. You don't have to actually publish the repo or any of that stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's an option to do that in Keydown. I'll have to check. That would be nice. It's still well, nice. I use Keydown. I mean, oh, they, I, well, it helps if I actually Markdown heard everything you said. Sends, <laughs> yeah, Markdown has it as sends any HTML directly out. Like it doesn't send. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. It would it'd probably be nicer for an audience if you had something like an on hover. And I'm saying abstractly, not you. Um, but if Keydown maybe had something like a, a hover effect where you hover on a page, then you get a, a pop up with the notes. Instead of having to, you know, open, review the source, but I, I've said before, I'm super lazy how I use Keydown. I use it completely vanilla, and I'm very happy with it. Right, right. What? <laughs> what uh, how do you feel about code in your slides? Uh, I actually learned 
some lessons of this uh, from talking to Avdi after Avdi Grimm after making a, after doing enough presentations with code in my slides and, and having issues with them. I try very hard to keep the number of lines of code in my slides very, very, very low. Sometimes that means that the um, the examples don't feel particularly rich, but if people can't read the code, then it's then they're not going to be able to understand what the hell's going on when I'm trying to show a code example anyway. So I try to take the code example and distill out the absolute minimum that I can have, and that's what I that's what I'll show. And if it means I need a few slides in order to make a point, I guess I would rather have a few slides with very little code in order to make one point than one slide with code that people can't read. Yeah, I agree. But it, the other problem code and slide is hard. Yeah. It's better than live coding, though. What are you saying? <sighs> I've done that once. <laughs> I'll just, I mean, because I've seen a lot of presentations, and as a viewer, like, two things that hit me with code is, one, some people don't have syntax highlighting, or they have syntax highlighting that you can't read. It's, yes. you know, it's just a problem. But the other thing is, is most presentations are on projectors at a low resolution. Yes. And so, I mean, any code is going to have to wrap lines. And when you wrap lines in a presentation, it, I mean, it's so hard to really kind of understand it. And so you have to really kind of dumb down stuff. And then it's yes. like, well, it's not really, that's kind of a dumbed down example. What is it like in the real world? And and, that, yeah, and that's exactly what I what I find myself doing these days. That I intentionally have examples that have that are uh, only a few lines of code, and there aren't there are not many columns of code. It's in, because I don't trust the projectors to be anything more than ten twenty four by seven sixty eight. I mean, occasionally I'm surprised. I get to a venue, and, and this is this has now become a habit for me. By the way, is I ask the conference organizers, "What's the resolution of the screen?" And what blows my mind is occasionally when they get the answer back, well, what? what? I, I don't know that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, like uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. But um, occasionally, like uh, it, uh, GeekFest, which is a um, an, a weekly, um, not really a conference, almost like a user group, but it's really pretty large, um, held by Groupon in Chicago. They have uh, HDTVs, so they're running 1920 by 1080. Um, which is unusual. Most most conferences are using projectors that do 1024 by 768. Uh, yeah, that's my experience. Is that the the resolution really isn't that great? But so that would be a tip. Ask the conference organizer. They really should know. Yeah, but I, I think we've we've talked about a lot of the things with the slides. You know, high contrast. The other thing is, is you can't ever count on the lighting in the room. So you want to go not only know what the resolution is, but go when you get there, get there a little bit early and see if you can just hook your machine into the projector that you're going to be using and oh, yeah. just, just flip through your slides and make sure that you can read them. That That's way you have time to uh, adjust them before you actually give the talk. Although changing fonts and styles at the last minute can be really dangerous but yeah if but no that, one's gonna be able to read your your slides then <laughs> well that has more to do in in my experience with contrast than with font or font size yes so yes. you might have to change the font size you're most likely though your most likely problem is going to be contrast you're going to find out that there's too much light in the room for what you've got or something like that so I'm I'm trying to think if there's anything else that you know I I, I want to just reiterate practice practice practice. If you're an experienced speaker, then it's probably a little bit different story. Yeah. But I mean, when I was first starting, I practiced a lot. So okay, so here's another one um, because this is a mistake I've made. I guess I still make it sometimes. I don't feel as bad about it when I do it now. Uh, time your presentation. 
actually, this is especially true when you're a new presenter. Time when you practice, when you when you do a whole run through, time when you practice, um, you're probably going to go faster when you're on stage than when you're practicing because you'll be more nervous at least the first time. But you need to time it because your presentation can. Some people write way too much content. And their presentations run long. You don't want to be that guy who runs. I've seen it before, and some people complain about it. I, I haven't minded necessarily, but you don't want to be that guy that makes the whole conference run long because your your half hour presentation is an hour and a half. Um, but it, it's happened. Uh, I tend to do the opposite, where um, I go fast because I don't talk fast or anything. No, no, no. Uh, and my hour, my forty five minute presentation gets compressed into twenty. Um, sometimes, um, and as long as I get, as long as I feel the content's valuable and it's, the presentation is delivered well, I don't feel so bad about that. Also, usually there Q and it leaves room for Q and A. If your topic is complicated enough, you'll get a lot of questions, and and leaving more time for Q and A then might be worthwhile. For example, doing an anti patterns talk, I didn't get a ton of questions. Doing a talk about writing a recommendation engine from scratch. It was about a 20, 25-minute presentation, and about the whole second half of that, another 25 minutes, was just questions, really good questions. That was my experience with the SOA talk. And when I when I practice, I typically am try, pra, trying to get the timing to around uh, 5 to 10 minutes uh, longer than I have for my talk. And the reason is, is because I always go faster when I speak. And, and you're not going to know that for sure about yourself until you get up on a stage and do it once. Right. But then the other thing is, is I also try and get into my head, okay, if it looks like I'm going to go over, these are the parts that I'm going to cut. And, mm. the, you know, so in the last half, I have two or three things that I can just skip. And so you, I just skip over them and say, this is bonus material. You can get it on GitHub here, but but we don't have time. Uh, you know, I put I put it in, but we don't have time. Sorry. And most of the time, that's fine. What I've done for that sometimes is not actually like skipping a slide or saying it's bonus, but like if you have a slide and you give you know a simple example, like I might have a more complex example, and if I run out of time, I just skip over the more complex one. Mm -hmm. And well, that's kind of a way to kind of buy you a few extra minutes here and there. So a mistake I made, first, first time conference presentation, don't skip slides the first time you're presenting. Because it, it's too easy to do for the wrong – if you give yourself permission to, it's too easy to do for the wrong reasons. And having done that before, I did exactly that for the wrong reasons, and I wish I hadn't skipped those slides. It would have actually been valuable to some other people in the audience. I just – I second-guessed myself and didn't think so at the time, and I guessed wrong. So until you have some more experience gauging audience skill levels, gauging audience interests, present, presenting a few times – don't give yourself permission to skip, I don't think. Just plan your talk, do your talk. If you try to improvise the first time, unless you're really comfortable talking with people, talking in front of people, even if you haven't done a conference presentation before, you're more likely than not just going to trip yourself up. I, I definitely agree with making like in, in real-time edits where you're, you're changing your talk while you're giving it. And yeah, those generally aren't a good idea unless you are extremely, extremely familiar with your subject matter and with with speaking in front of people, and you're you're extra and especially comfortable with it, because it's it is it's really easy to mess it up or to miss something then that is critical to your actual talk. One other one other thing that I want to bring in is uh, a lot of times people think that you're talking about something when you're giving a talk, 
I see this all the time where people are like, well, I'm talking about SOA, or I'm talking about what I do when I'm blah, blah, blah. And as effectively what you're really doing, and, and the, a lot of the best talks that I've seen really do this, is that they are trying to convince people to do something. Yes. So, so they're trying to convince people to try this library or to try this technique or mm -hmm. to, to consider whether or not this approach makes sense for the problems you're trying to solve. So if and, we're going to oh, – sorry, go ahead. You're still going. Well, I was just going to say, so if you come at it from that angle – where you're saying, look, I just want to convince people to go and try uh, this NoSQL database. Then then what you do is you wind up making your talk compelling instead of informative. I was going to point, suggest or point out that generally, I personally don't tend to like talks about use this gem, use this library. Right. Maybe, you know, a, a, right, <laughs> using, a, using a tool like using a database, something that has a lot of different capabilities – Perhaps I'm a more 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 forgiving toward, but libraries are are really almost like a pop culture themselves, um, and a very very fast paced one. Even more fast paced, I think, than the adoption of different techniques in the community. Um, so try to avoid a look at my shiny new library presentation. Uh, I say that having done one before and feeling that maybe it wasn't worthwhile afterward, even though a few people in the audience thought it was. The better talks I found are usually the ones that are that are trying to change people's outlook or they're trying to shift people's perspectives or simply just trying to get people to, to – well, really, to get people to think in a different way. I'm saying the same thing now. I find those the most compelling. It's just When you're trying to have, get people to develop a different perspective, those are, the, to me, usually the really good talks. But I'll, I'll that's admit, just my opinion. I'll admit, too, that use this library is a bad example. Think about this problem in a different way because it will make your life easier is a much better example of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Are, are there any other aspects of speaking at conferences that you want to talk about, Evan, Eric? There's one I want to talk about oh. just because it's a thing that annoyed me, but... You give a kind of, I don't remember what it's called, but you know, your proposal of like, I'm going to talk about topic X. They accept it, you know, you then put it, print it in them thing, all that. It's like you're talking about topic X. Well, one time he, the presenter was going to talk about topic X. He walks in and said, I decided not to talk about topic X. I'm going to talk about topic Y because I care about that more. I love those. I mean, and it's a, com mm. it's a completely, I mean, it's talking about like, he was supposed to talk about, I think, JavaScript, and it's like, I'm going to talk about HTML5 instead, or like vice versa. So it's really not very close, and it, what he had no slides, basically unprepared. Like, I'm just going to show you what the RFC is and talk about why I think we need to do this. And within two minutes, half of the audience stepped up and walked out. And I Well, good for them. I, I was yeah, going to say, bravo. Like, this guy, I went to one of his ones before, and he did something similar, but I was like, I'll, I'll stay because I'm, I'm interested in this new topic a little bit, but it was a waste of my time. And so it, if you're going to change your topic, you need to, if you can, you know, tell the conference organizer, but if you can't, I mean, I'm kind of inclined to just stick with what you said you would do. If you want to like mention as a sides, the other thing you're really passionate about, but I mean, it's, it's hard because I plan out like, okay, I'm going to this one, and not this other session because this one's going to help me more. And then if I'm let down, it really upsets me. And it's like, well, that was a waste of time. And I actually, I didn't go to that conference again. I was like, I scratched it off my, the list of ones I would go to. 
I was going to say, it's not fair to the listeners when that happens, but it's especially not fair to the conference organizers. Oh, yeah. Because they they brought you in to add that certain thing to their lineup, and you effectively came in and said, I am smarter than you, I am better than you, and my agenda is more important than yours. Well, I think you hit on something very important there, Chuck, because in, in terms of continuing to speak at conferences, assuming you want to do it more than once, you have to consider how well you're serving the interest of the conference and the conference organizers. So, and the sponsors of the conference. Also. Well, and, and, and the sponsors of the conferences, although sponsors and organizers can be by degrees open-minded at the same time going and just doing something completely different than what you said you were going to do is, I agree, that, that that's not a good thing for the conference. So if, if I were going to do something like that, on, on occasions, for example, when I've submitted a few different proposals and had one accepted – I had the conference organizer come back to me and said, well, we'd like you to talk. And I said, well, is there any one thing you want me to talk about? So I actually asked them. And they said, well, any of the things that you submitted or something completely different. I'm like, well, okay, if you just want me to talk, then okay. At least I know that. But you should – I agree. You should you should ask them and find out what suits them rather than what suits you. Anything else is just selfish and rude. Yeah, and in that case, like I think another conference did something like this where the speaker is really good. I mean the – He's entertaining, knows his stuff, and can switch gears fast. I think they had him submit a proposal that's like, listen to Bob talk. Bob knows about X, Y, and Z. He's going to make a, you know, a great presentation, and we don't know what he's going to talk about. And I was in the room next door, and every like you, you couldn't hear the conference I was in because his presentation was received so well. People were laughing. I mean, it was like a party next door type thing. And if you... If you've done it before and you actually have proof that you can deliver and you know you're open with the conference organizers, that could fly. But sure. in, in this specific case, it was like this guy's done it before he, and he just kind of made the gut decision and I'm changing it. And I, I think I, – I don't think he was invited back the next year. But like I said, I didn't even go next the next year. I was, I was done with that. Yeah. And, and that's too bad because I know that those conference organizers – put in a lot of work i have one other question um and this is something that really eric can answer but or not eric evan can answer better than the rest of us because he's involved in organizing an unconference but Mm. how much do the conference organizers talk to each other a fair amount um there's a list isn't there there's a mailing list that we've had for i don't know i guess it's been about well i say the conference organizers primarily ruby conference organizers that's what i mean i say primarily because um Alex Miller, I guess, just strange loop, posted a sent an email to us when he was getting started, and, and he's still he's still on the list. Um, even though Strange Loop, I guess, has become more of a multi language kind of closure focused conference, but otherwise, yeah, we we talk via email. I guess some of us talk more regularly to each other than others, but there there there's a little not a click, but I guess you could say a little bit of a tribe. It's not I I haven't found that that. We organizers tend to be especially tight with one another, but we do have conf- broad conference-related ta- discussions with each other sometimes. Oh, like when I go to Mount, when I go when I've been to Lone Star, <laughs> Jim Freeze, <laughs> I would go back and forth a bit. But th- that's almost more a form, except for the mailing list, is almost more a form of commiseration <laughs> than anything else, because uh, you know organizing conferences can be challenging. Um, the mailing list. Is usually more practical, uh, more functionally, practically oriented than that. About how well, how do you handle X? How do you do Y? Um, what do you do if someone does Z? 
and did, occasionally. Did they ever ask, have you had so-and-so talk at your conference, and how was it? I don't believe I've seen that. I think just like, well, frankly, just like we are with this podcast, we tend to be kind of careful about about what what specific information we share about people and organizations not just for concern of public back or backlash publicly or private backlash but because it it's well it's very it's 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 personal really a lot of it could be very subjective so one person's experience with one other person might not be relevant or might not really be representative of what anyone else's experience would be like as well i think i've seen one or two occasions where it's where if a sponsor burned a conference badly, um, maybe I've seen uh, an email where, where in discussing sponsors and whether to have contracts or not. This actually that was a more recent one. I, I've seen an email way back where maybe someone said this sponsor bailed on us at the last minute, or he might not even have said it publicly. I think I think I actually had to inquire in private because I was concerned about sponsorships at the time. So bringing it back, we tend to be fairly private about the specifics. We don't usually – it's very, 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 very rare when a name gets named, if you will. Right. It's got to be a major deal. It has to be pretty significant. Like um, a speaker completely flaked out for no for, – and, and, and gave no reason whatsoever or no valid reason whatsoever. It was something incredibly lame and and really ruined you know this particular thing. I mean, the the time when a major sponsor backed out of a conference, as I said, this was something I had to address it in private in order to get an answer. We we don't usually talk about that stuff. Okay. We speak in broad terms to to try to prevent each other from making mistakes that well others of us have made, a lot of the time. Okay. I think we're getting close to the end of our time. Are there any other avenues that we want to pursue on speaking at conferences? Have you found that it really helps your business as far as being? I, I don't know. Absolutely. So I mean, I, you don't leads. even need you to finish that sentence. Right. I, I'm I, um, talking about getting leads or being recognized uh-huh. as an expert. Yes. Like yeah, yes, 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 and yes. Um, most of my leads have either, have indirectly, not directly, been linked to speaking at conferences. That is that it's not someone who heard me speak usually. It's someone who knew someone who heard me speak. Right. Uh, I, I've had frequently. I guess I, I've also had some because I organized Ruby D Camp. I mean, I've had those too, but and then maybe it's about fifty-fifty. Eh, not quite. There's the spurious one. I saw your website, but um, more often it's I heard you speak, or I've heard that you spoke at X, and that you speak a lot, or I heard you know a lot about X because you speak at. So yes, it it's this gets back to get clients now uh, for me that um, you know CJ says pick the the strategies that are effect that that suit you best personally. And for me, I, I really hate talking. Obviously, so um, talking at <laughs> right. talking at conferences, right? Talking at conferences um, comes pretty naturally for me now. Um, it was a little uncomfortable at first because, oh my god, nervous talking in front of a few hundred people. Now I don't really get flummoxed by that at all. Very, very rarely. Um, I'm just eager to share and, and and have people ask questions. So yes. Um, it's definitely helped me. Helps me get recognized as an expert. Although that humbles the hell out of me, because the more I know, the less I feel like I do. It helps me get work. Yes, 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 and yes. I, I want to chime in too because it's it's also helped me. I've had a few people talk to me about talks that I've given at various conferences. I saw your talk, and clearly you know about X and Y, and it pays off. Um, most of the work I get is either by referral or uh, from things like the podcasts that I do. 
but uh, it, it has paid off that way as well. So I just wanted to chime in. It is a real way of generating business, and it works. So that being said, let's go ahead and get into the picks. Eric, what are your picks? Recently, I've been doing a lot of work on paper, like actually using notebooks and stuff like that to kind of keep me organized and also kind of like, you know, write down little ideas that aren't necessarily like to-do things, but I want to like capture them somewhere. Um, and so I've been using, I have, what is it? The Pilot G2 pen, which is kind of a, a standard pen. I know a lot of people use them. I've been using those for years. And then since I got these notebooks, I kind of wanted like, oh, I want to put some color. So like, you know, if there's a bug, I'll like circle it in red so I can, you know, visually see it on the page. Or if there's a question, I'll use like purple so it stands out. And a couple weeks ago, I guess I was asking on Twitter, trying to find like, you know, a good pen for that because Sharpies obviously are going to go through the paper and I don't want my bugs to be circled 50 pages down. And I come to find out Pilot G2 has color pens too. And so I bought a eight pack of them. They've like black, blue, red, and also has like pink and cyan and kind of like a maroon. And they are great. So if you do any kind of like writing on paper and want to have a little bit of color, especially if you're, you know, for software development, if you're doing modeling or you need to kind of keep track of different ideas or things, I highly recommend these pens for that. They they don't really, they don't, uh, what is it, smear, they don't leach through pages that well, and they, they have a good feel to them. So are they ballpoint pens or are they more fountain pens or? Just ball dip? pens. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, normal normal pens, just different color. And they, I think there's a 20-pack, but I wanted to try the 8-pack to see if they actually were the same pen as what I was writing with. But yeah, and there's refills and everything else. So it's it's pretty nice little pens. Sounds good. Evan, what are your picks? Well, because I really didn't have a pick today, I admit. I'm going to say Keydown was my pick. <laughs> it's relevant to, to doing presentations anyway. <laughs> Sorry, life's been kind of crazy lately. That's okay. Keydown is pretty cool. I've seen a few others like it, like uh, Impress.js and stuff that are, at least they're in the browser and JavaScript driven. But anyway, so my picks, I have a little clicker, like I said before. Uh, it's just a little remote. It has a USB receiver that you plug into your computer. And it has back forward blank screen. So you hit the button and the screen goes dark. So if you want to just talk without having something up there to annoy people with then then that's that's a good way to go and uh, it also has a laser pointer in it though I typically don't use the laser pointer because um, it'll get captured in the video but it's hard to indicate things when people are just looking at slides and they you don't have that option of highlighting stuff uh, visually that way so um, but but it's really nice and I'll put a link to it in, on Amazon in the show notes and then the other pick that I want to pick is QR codes. And hmm. uh, I've used this in a couple of talks. I put a QR code with all my contact information in it at the end of my talk. The nice thing about that is that it it makes it easy if people want to just capture my contact information while I'm giving the talk. Uh, they just point their camera up there and take a picture. That's all it takes. So then they have my contact information. Uh, you don't have to give them a business card. They don't have to come find me afterward and they can get a hold of me. Yeah, uh, at their convenience. So those are my picks. Uh, are there any announcements that we want to go over before we wrap this up? I don't think I have any. Okay. No, nothing new here. Okay. Well, then we'll wrap this up. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you all next week. See ya. See ya.